This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 25th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And we are living in interesting times, and there's a lot of data and information coming at you. And my job here every weekday is to help you weed through the noise and focus on managing your assets in an effective and thought worthy way where you're taking into consideration pros and cons, uh, your end goals, and making sure you are allocating towards that based on current market, current economy, etc. Also making good financial decisions. So spending less than you make, saving consistently in tax deferred accounts, things like that. And that's what I'm here to do is to help you take that next step in your own version of financial freedom. And I'm going to do that by operating with my mission statement, which is as always independent thinking and shared success. And so that means whatever I'm talking about stock sector strategy, I'm here to present it all without bias and give you the facts as I see them. And using my 20 plus years of investment experience and of the data in front of me. So I'm Justin Klein, and of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions, and when you do that, you get to shape this show to your liking, and so please call me right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, with any question that's on your mind. Or if you're listening after hours, you can always leave a message on our Invest Talk voice bank, and we will answer it on a future show. As always, the number never changes, 888-99-CHART, so let's get to our first listener question now. Hello, I was just calling to get your thoughts on Anheuser-Busch, ticker symbol BUD, B-U-E-D, up to about $79 in June. Now it's trading around 56. I'm down about 12% right now. I was just curious, is this a time to add? Looks like the earnings are going up, so I'm kind of confused why it's pulled back so far. Thanks. Love to hear your thoughts. Well, normally I would say that... Averaging down is a bad strategy, um, but in this case, I still think uh, Anheuser Busch has a a very strong franchise, very strong business, good free cash flow. Now they have been struggling over the past five years or so. Their their return equity, uh, their, their margins have been a lot weaker than they were, say, pre two thousand sixteen. And that's probably my biggest worry is what kind of has changed with the business. It's a long period of time to where those margins ha- have, have been struggling. Now, roughly two of those five years have been uh, under COVID. And so you kind of give them a pass there. And the big question is, will they be able to return to their previous level of profitability where their profit margins were, that margins were in the, the high teens, from 2011 to 2015. And over the past five years, it's been more like high single digits. And that's a worry. Is that that is that going to be permanent? I don't think so. I still think they have good, strong uh, brand. Um, but and they are at support. Uh, but it is un, it doesn't it is underperforming. Relative strength is only 14. That's very weak. Um, just make sure it's not a 
more than about probably 3% of your overall portfolio. That's where I would cap it at. Um, and so I still like the name. I still think it's undervalued. Our value is closer to $85, $90 a share. Now it's at 56 So I do think it's undervalued. Um, but it's not a fast grower. It's not an exciting name. And uh, But if you do get a return to value investing, uh, I think this will start to outperform. So I don't typically say double down on a loss. Um, but in this case, as long as it's not too big of a percentage of your portfolio, I'm a fan of it. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Wall Street seeks to change the struggling SPAC market. Special purpose acquisition companies raise money in the public market. And they have come under scrutiny for disproportionate insider benefits and lucrative incentives, oftentimes at the expense of you, the retail investor. So we're going to look at that story and how Goldman Sachs is trying to change the tenor of that market and the incentive structures, which if you follow the world at all, you'll know that uh, you can pretty much tell outcomes based on incentive structures. And right now, this, this incentive structures in the SPAC market are not that great. But Goldman's trying to change that. So we're going to look at that. Then we're going to really dig into the details of the billionaire unrealized gain tax proposal. Remember, this is just a proposal. And what does the proposal mean? What are the challenges? And what are the odds that it gets implemented? And will it affect you? Hint, you're not a billionaire probably. So uh, probably not. But uh, we're going to look at that story. Also, is it more expensive? to own an electric vehicle than fueling your car up with gas, right? So how do you look at the different trade-offs? Not just the cost of electricity, it's not the, the same uh, at home or uh, at a supercharger or uh, your, your, uh, your work place that might have a charging station, et cetera. So we're gonna look at a pretty interesting comparison and there are some key takeaways, so we'll look at that. And then lastly, digital payments. We're moving more and more every single day to digital payments. In fact, I would say you know, the vast majority of payments now uh, are in cash, and we may go to 100% soon. Is that a good thing? Well, the stats show that digital payments may be convenient, but they can actually cause harm to your finances. So we're going to look at that as well. But that's... What's on my mind? Ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's look at the market today. We had, S&P was up 21 points, about half a percent there. The NASDAQ, that was up 136 points, almost 1%. So a bit of a catch-up there after the NASDAQ has been lagging because of higher interest rates. S&P closed at a new high. The NASDAQ did not. If you look at the NYSE, the broader index, that also closed at a new high of 46 points there, about a quarter of a percent. And then the Dow, which I don't like to look at the Dow, but the Dow was up 40, 64 points. Doesn't mean a whole, a whole lot. Very modest increase on that side. And then the Russell, small caps, that had a nice day, up 21 points, a little less than 1%. So broad-based Decent gains on the day. We're heading to the back half of, you know, it really the end of this uh, this month, the first month of the fourth quarter. And next week, 
I don't know if you know this, it's actually Fed Week talking about announcing that taper that they hinted at for a while now. And the big question will be, uh, I think the market will start turning to that as the next market moving event, especially now that the earnings season, we're still in it, still happening. Facebook had earnings after hours. It was, let's see, what did it do? Looks like it's up a bit, not a lot, but modestly. And, uh, you know, by the time this weekends, we will mainly be done with earnings season for the most part. And the focus will be on the Fed meeting next week and what tapering means for the market. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. With all the changes we see in the market, it's important for you to keep your eye on the prize and your goals and allocating your portfolios accordingly. So let's talk about whatever is on your mind. If you're having trouble with that, figuring out a strategy, figuring out the next position, give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, my name is Aaron. Uh, I just started recently listening to your podcast, and I just had a, a question regarding. A Roth IRA. I just opened my my first account for Roth IRA. And I'm wondering kind of where I should start investing some of my money to start out with. Uh, any tips or stocks that I should be looking at investing would be much appreciated. Thanks. Bye. Well, first, per SEC rules, I cannot give out stock recommendations without knowing my client. That's why you don't see me uh, bringing up individual stocks very often unless someone calls. We can answer questions. We can answer calls about individual stock. We can't say, hey, check out Apple or check out Google. We can't We can't do that. So uh, we have to know you as a client. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I don't want to give you recommendations. I want to try to teach you, right? You, you give someone a fish, they can feed, you feed them for a day. Give some, you teach someone to fish, they can feed themselves for a lifetime. Now, that's what we like to do on the show, try to teach you how to think about this. Well, you're new, um, you probably don't want to, uh, you probably don't have a ton of money. You just started a Roth IRA. There are two different schools of thoughts. Now, if you don't want to, if it's just more of a savings mechanism and you don't want to actively learn about investing and make smart choices with your money and you just want to kind of get market returns and you want to index, you can certainly do that. Go buy SPY, go buy uh, a broad VTI, a broad basket index. And you'd be kind of going along with the crowd. Um, but it's low fee as well as low maintenance for you. You don't have to really do much thinking at all. Just about the constant savings. So that's option number one. That's if you don't really want to get better at understanding businesses, companies, investing, etc. If you want to get better, I suggest buying small amounts of companies that you know. Now you could buy, uh, know and like, you know, if you like Apple, you go buy Apple. Um, 
you know, but I would think of smaller companies, maybe a clothing company that you really like, maybe it's a software company that you use at work or, or personally, um, whatever it is that you have a good experience with, seek out those public companies and start to build a portfolio in them. And you want to build out a portfolio of 25, 30 different names that you really like and across different industries. And that's what I would try to do with additional money is to start to put a little bit more into various companies that you understand across different industries and even the industries that you don't really know, like most people don't know utilities. Well, you need to go and do a little research, find the companies that maybe are, are into things that, that, that you want, um, where they're maybe investing green energy uh, uh, more, and maybe that's the way you want to allocate your capital uh, and find the best ones with the best value, etc. So those are the two schools of thoughts. Steve has the indexing school of thought. I have the, if you want to learn, it's better to own individual companies. So I hope that helps. And glad you're getting started. Roth IRAs are a great way to save consistently. I always say, if you're young, even if you're not that young, Roths are still great mechanisms for putting money away. And then you never have to worry about the taxes in the future. And everyone should also think about doing Roth conversions between the time they retire and the time they have to take their RMDs from their IRA because that can also drastically change your effective tax rate post-retirement if you can do Roth conversions when you don't have a lot of income. And guess what? If you have a big account, you have a big IRA, when you have RMDs, you're going to have a lot of income because your income's going to, or you're going to have high tax rate because your income is going to be relatively high. Now, I hope you're telling your friends and family about Invest Talk, and thank you for your loyalty. And you've got a portfolio to maintain and protect. And I'm here now, ready to answer your Invest Talk questions at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. I had a question about the stock LRLC. What's your question? 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99Chart. Hello, Justin and Steve. Um, this is Christian calling from Long Beach. My question is on ticker symbol IBM. I own it in my Roth IRA and it went down on its earnings. I just wanted to see is this still a long term hold? Um, or is this more so like of a value trap? So I'll be listening to it on the show. Have a great day. I think this is an easy call. It is a value trap. Um, this is a company that was the leader in the corporate IT space for a long period of time. And they clearly are behind the eight ball uh, and have been for many years in transitioning to the cloud. Longer term chart continues to make a series of lower highs and lower lows. So technically, it is poor. And fundamentally, 
they had a peak peak earnings 2014 made sixteen dollars and fifty three cents. They're only supposed to make ten dollars and thirty four cents this year. Uh, a lot of that earnings, I think, is financial shenanigans. Uh, I see this very similar to GE when GE fell out of bed and they were uh, they they were doing a lot of kind of shady things uh, in the background. Uh, and I think IBM is very very similar. So I would absolutely 100% be selling IBM tomorrow, tomorrow. All right. That was IBM International Business Machines. I know you're probably addicted to that 4.6% yield. Sounds great. A lot of people are probably out there own IBM just because of the name. Don't be falling in love with this name. This is not a name you want to own. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on the SPAC market. And this is really interesting because Goldman Sachs, usually not the investment bank on the side of the general investor, but they are they have recently closed their second multi-billion dollar blank check deal. And this is one of their efforts, part of their effort to turn around the struggling SPAC market. Now remember, SPAC stand for Special Purpose Acquisition Corp. They go public saying they're going to purchase a company within a particular part of the of the economy, uh, and they take they negotiate with different private companies to purchase that company and basically take them uh, public. It's kind of a reverse merger. It's basically what it is. Now these have been around for a long, long time. This is not new, but in a market where uh, stories went out over fundamentals. SPACs have become popular. Now, the way that Goldman is trying to change this market is by switching around the incentive structures. Now, currently, typical SPACs, SPAC sponsors, are entitled to 20% of the total shares outstanding following the, the merger, the, the de-SPACing. Uh, and what this ha- what happens is it incentivizes the leaders and the sponsors of the SPAC to buy pretty much anything because unless they get a deal, they're not going to earn any money. So it incentivizes them to pay up, project out a little bit more, and very incentivized to get a deal done. And that is usually at the detriment of the actual shareholders. Remember, the SPACs are getting the shares for free. So whether or not it's good for the shareholders overall is less important than them actually getting a deal because they can take the SPAC public to pay all these underwriting fees and uh, fees to go public. And then if they don't do a deal, they've lost those millions of dollars that they paid to bring this company public. And so that's why they've come under scrutiny for disproportionate insider benefits and these lucrative expenses. And the expenses fall on the retail investor who are chasing these stories. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler has warned about the misaligned interest between sponsors and shareholders and thinks there should be greater levels of disclosures. Now, what Goldman is basically saying is that what they're doing is tying the the promote that free shares to upside in the share price. So instead of the deal going off, uh, a bunch of people, a bunch of shareholders redeeming because the deal's bad, 
uh, the promote promoter getting their 20% and then the stock suddenly because they're, they're trying to unload their 20% that they got for free, the stock just perpetually goes lower and lower well below that $10 kind of uh, standard price for a SPAC share. And that's why you see a lot of these SPACs trading at two, three, four, five, you know, two, three dollars a share because the promoters are just dumping shares because they just want to make their money. And there is a record amount of SPAC capital out there. More than $135 billion has been raised that is still seeking target companies to take public. And Goldman's hope, at least, is at the very least that they say that if a private company is approached by a SPAC and a promoter, that they will at least take the same structure by deferring their promote until there's a certain level of price gain, maybe 20% at least, above the acquisition price. And so I hope this sticks because it's certainly that whole sector or part of the market needs to be overhauled and the incentives need to be aligned with shareholders. And too often in the market right now, that's not the case. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we are here to help you stay focused, take that next step in creating your own version of financial freedom, and that's why you're, we're taking your calls live at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use. 
and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. Could investing in climate change startups be a good idea? Getting to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 is going to require a revolution in the production of everything we produce and a revolution in everything we consume. We'll walk through that the twists and turns of that story tomorrow, but let's play another caller question now. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Jason from Stockton, California, and I've been investing for a time in equities and in Forex, and I've started venturing into futures, but I wanted to ask you about bonds, and I'm just wondering, why would somebody choose to invest in bonds? And I guess the second part of that question would be, how do you know whether you should hold the bond to maturity or whether you should sell the bond early? And why would somebody do one of those things? Hope to hear your answer. Thank you. Bye. Well, you invest in bonds because you want safe, consistent income. You said you invest in equities, uh, futures, all those things are, are, are very volatile. And I know it might feel like today, oh, equities are better. It goes up. That's certainly um, during the case, the case over the long term. Um, but I'm not sure if you're around in 2007, 2008, 2009. That was a time that you definitely wanted bonds over equities, high quality bonds, because they didn't go down in value. In a deflationary impulse, you can go back to last year. Um, bonds did much better. <laughs> Maybe they went down a little bit, but. Uh, far less, and you, you got your income. And so if you're more of a retiree and you're not going to trade the market, um, you don't want the volatility, you want the consistency of bonds. And we have clients like that. Uh, we have a stable income program. People just want their nice 4 4.5%, 5% yield uh, every year and not to w- worry about major fluctuations um, in equity, the equity markets that could um, change that uh, ch- change their financial picture. They have enough money. They don't need a whole lot. Uh, and 5% is plenty for them. And those people are investing in the bond market. And that's why you invest in bonds. Now, w- when do you decide to hold them mat- to maturity or to sell them? Well, uh, that depends on the duration you want of your bond portfolio. For example, for our clients, you know, a lot of times we hold them to maturity, but sometimes we will sell them earlier when their yield to maturity is very low maybe less than 1%, and we can roll that out to a different uh, credit that's longer in duration. Obviously, that stretches that duration out, uh, stretches out the uh, volatility uh, in in relation to interest rates, if interest rates do rise. Uh, And so that duration metric is something that you want to consider. Uh, And that's another level of volatility that you may or may not want. Um, But that that higher yield can be worth the higher, a bit higher level of volatility. So 
uh, in this market, probably does make sense to uh, roll that out a bit more often than not. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some from iTunes reviewers. MD Student for Life says, I've learned so much by listening to your show. I've listened to, uh, I have a question of my own. The chip manufacturer, Global Foundries, had just filed for an IPO this week. I am interested in investing. What do you look for when deciding whether or not to jump on an initial public offering? Great question. Well, first off, I've said this before, most IPOs are over, overpriced. You always have to look at them from, once again, incentives. Always go back to incentive structures. They're so vital to every analysis that you do uh, in, your, uh, in your investing life. Incentives will drive outcomes more often, far more often than not. Now, in an IPO, remember, this is an initial public offering. This is the first time it's going public. So who owns, somebody owns the company. Who are the ones that own the company at that time? Typically, those are founders, early investors, early uh, employees, etc. And they know the company inside and out. They work there. They founded it. They invested in it. They've seen this company go from next to nothing to potentially public. That's typical path of a a company going public. So if those people who have put their blood, sweat, and tears in building that company, investing in that company, do you think they're going to sell that in the public markets for a cheap price or a high price? A cheap price or a high price? Far more often than not, they're selling it for a high price. That means you're paying a high price if you're buying that IPO, especially if they're in a sector that is hot right now. Is they're taking advantage of the, the sentiment in the market around that IPO or that sector. The multiples that those companies are trading at tend to be pretty high. And they're taking advantage of that as well, saying, hey, these companies in the sector are now trading at 10, 15, 20 times revenue. Sounds like a high price to me. We're going to go public. So that's the first thing. Is be skeptical, especially if it's in a hot sector. That are comparable companies are trading at high multiples. Number two. How defensible is this business? Is it just another run of the mill, in this case, chip foundry? How cyclical is the business? It's just the analysis of a typical business. What's the leadership like? So all those are important things to consider. So it's not a whole lot different than the analysis of a normal company. Just know that odds are very low that you're going to be getting a deal on that name. Let's go to George in Washington State, looking at MCO, which is Moody's Corporation, the rating rating company. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I'm actually looking to buy it. I never thought about it, but it's a really, you know, they have a really good performance financially, it seems to me. And uh, regardless, market goes up or down. They just adjust their cost, and they pretty much are decent and have a chance to still make profit. Yeah, uh, you're, you're talking about a, a good, a, a very profitable company. Yes, trading 12 months, about $2.3 billion of free cash flow. Uh, they're buying back shares. I like that. 
Their return equity is high. They have uh, they do have a, le- a lot of leverage, so that's a, it's a bit of a worry there. Uh, our value is a bit lower, though, right around three hundred dollars a share. Now it's at three eighty five. So you're looking at a good company. I like the business. I like the cash flows, but it's trading at a high multiple. Thirty one P's thirty one. Five-year P range is 17 to 33. So as you can see, it's trading at the high end of that range. Yeah. So once again, I, I like your analysis. It's a good company to have in your watch list. Would I buy it here, especially after this recent run? It's been overbought. Testing those recent highs probably wouldn't be my spot. But definitely on my watch list as a company to potentially buy in the financial space. Um, yeah, I like it. Thank you. Thanks Great for the call, George. Guys. No problem. That was MCO Moody's Corporation. 8899 chart, 8899 We have about 15 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Now let's touch quickly on the potential billionaire unrealized tax proposal. Now this is a proposal under consideration from the Senate Finance Committee. And it would impose an annual tax on unrealized gains on liquid assets, liquid assets held by billionaires. Now, what does liquid mean? Probably stocks, maybe bonds. What does liquid actually mean is 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 one question you have to ask. And basically, they're saying an an extraordinary large part of the incomes of the wealthiest individuals escape taxation. And this is true. There are the, the vast majority of the uber wealthy. They're not selling their equity shares. Instead, they're borrowing against it. Elon Musk is a, a perfect example of that. He doesn't sell his shares. He just borrows against the value of his shares, basically taking margin debt out. Um, and these banks, big investment banks, are giving him very low rates, 2 3%, because it's backed by an asset. And so they don't have to pay these capital gains. And that makes sense based, once again, these are the incentive structures. This is the system that is in place, and you have to really be guided by that. Now, the tax is expected to affect people with $1 billion in assets or $100 million in income for three consecutive years. So uber, uber wealthy. Only affect fewer than 1,000 taxpayers overall and raise about 200 to $250 billion in revenue over the next 10 years. So it's not affecting very many people it's a lot of money, um, and I think that's why they're attracted to it. And they're really scrambling. Democrats are really scrambling to find ways to pay for the $2 trillion spending package because of, quote-unquote, centrist Kirsten Cinema, for example, uh, who is really backing her, her donors here and trying to oppose corp- uh, raising uh, corporate taxes, capital gains rates, et cetera. And so she's kind of open to this potential change because it's not affecting large corporations that are typically donors to uh, the to, to uh, congressmen and women. Now, the proposal under consideration is very different than uh, an unrealized capital uh, uh, the, the change on unrealized capital gains and expected to include one-time tax on gains to date, excuse me. So that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to really focus on those tech founders, and it's not going to be somebody who maybe inherits $5 billion. So it's about if you have unrealized gains today. Um, And what's interesting here is they're also open to things like an excise tax on stock buybacks, so to, to disincentivize stock buybacks, 
and a 15% minimum corporate tax rate instead that would basically force companies to pay some sort of minimum tax as opposed to those that are using legal loopholes to get big tax breaks. So that's another way this could go. So still a lot of jockeying back and forth with markets continue to plumb to new highs. I, I don't see them really forced to make a deal, but I do think one will be done by year end. Now let's go to Steve in New Hampshire. And he wants to talk about crypto. Hey, Justin, how are you? Doing well. How can I help you? So I was just hoping to hear your thoughts on, I guess, um, inflation related to these cryptocurrencies and NFTs that are just going absolutely crazy. I, I haven't seen anything like it in a long time. What is your take on you know people taking thousands, you know, thousand dollars and turning it into, I don't know, hundred thousand dollars in a matter of a couple of weeks, and that impact that it has on inflation? I know inflation is a hot topic right now, but it seems like we're more focused on like consumer goods and producers, you know. So I was wondering what your thought was on where the end of this is and maybe its impact on inflation overall in the economy. Uh, well, there's been asset inflation f- since the end of the financial crisis, um, you know, with low interest rates and basically free money kind of forever. Nothing's more important than the cost of money in the economy. Nothing. And for over a decade, you know, talk going on 13 years now. Money's cost nothing. And so that's created a lot of asset inflation across the economy. Now, I don't think, I think the inflation is a very complex game. It's not something that can be whittled down to one factor or another. It takes multiple factors, multiple inputs to create the end price of a good or service. And so, for many years, over the last 13 years, inflation has been very, very low. Even if you don't believe the government number, the broad inflation for most of this 13 years has been relatively low. And a lot of that had to do with the money that was uh, sitting on bank balance sheets uh, wasn't being lent out. So talking about all this money printing and all that, it was just was sitting on bank balance sheets. You see excess reserves just ballooning, and they continue to be very high. Uh, and Money is just flowing into assets because nowhere else to really put them. There's a lot of productive investment going on. And that's really the issue here. Now, when it comes to crypto and NFTs, this is just uh, the latest speculative mania. What is the end utility of it? Are there some utilities to crypto and, and NFT? Sure. But at this point, it's very, very small. Um, and it's an asset class that has now been taken over by speculators and meme, the Reddit boards, um, and really kind of a financial nihilism that's out there. Uh, That's really, I think there's a lot of young people that don't feel the system is is just, and it's kind of a YOLO mentality that, hey, I have no other way to really make it in this world. It's too expensive to buy a house. I have too many student loans that are going to be too difficult to pay off. Jobs don't pay enough. So the best way that I can feel financially comfortable is, like you said, turning $1,000 into $100,000 so I can pay off my student debt, so I can buy a house. 
Um, and it's one of those greater fool theories is it's just that piles on and piles on until that trend reverses and then people get wrecked. Um, and you saw many parts of that um, over the past 10 years or so where crypto fell 80%. Now, are we close to that again? Maybe. Um, technically, you know, you have a pause here around 62, 65,000 on, uh, on, on Bitcoin looks a bit frothy to me, but it could continue higher. Um, but that's kind of my general sense of the space it has been taken over by speculators. There is not a lot of utility. I've said this before and I'll say it again. As soon as you can actually spend Bitcoin, I think that's going to be a, a very bearish sign for the space because now people can actually use it to buy things and actually sell their Bitcoin. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom and our work continues after this final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. This is Mike calling from Kaysville, Utah. Um, Trump's social media platform is merging with Digital World Acquisition Corp through a SPAC. And the stock ticker DWAC has been going up a lot. So I'm wondering if this is a good long-term investment. You know, is this going to be the next Facebook where it could potentially see huge price gains? Thanks. Bye. All right. Well... Let me start by saying I'm going to give uh, a non-political answer to this um, because politics don't matter. Remember, the market does not care about your politics. Now, this has gone up a lot. Um, it's pulled back a lot as well. It hit a high uh, on Friday of $173. Now we're at $83. But it started off uh, like a lot of a lot of SPACs around um, what, 10 bucks. Yeah, 10 bucks uh, on Wednesday of last week. So still up fourfold since then, but certainly pulling back. And I haven't really dug into the details of it, but as with anything uh, Trump-related, Trump has a lot of power. Um, and with that power means he can create a, a probably valuable media company. And uh, we all kind of knew he was going to go this way. It's just a matter of, you know, what form was it going to be some, you know, television uh, channel or, um, you know, video focused channel or a social media channel. And that, that it seems like that's uh, where he's going with this. Now, currently, and I don't trust the numbers because the SPAC number is always odd, but it looks like it's about a $3 billion market cap. Um, and I actually have a friend um, who uh, texted me about it, said he bought a bunch and asked my opinion. And my initial reaction, and I still think my initial reaction bears um, merit, and that is this will be a buy most likely until Trump announces that he's running for twenty president in 2024. That's my initial reaction. Um, now, it's still going to be very volatile. Um, in the meantime, um, but that's how I think about it. Um, this is not a company that is not an investment. This is speculation. 
Um, you know, how much staying power does it have post-Trump? And another thing I told him was, how old's Trump? He's not young. Um, and if he runs for president, let's say he wins and he's president for four years, well, he can't run again. So that's called, that's 2028. That's seven years from now. How much power will he have post a second term? If there is a second term. I don't think a lot. Um, so, and then how much power does his social media platform have then? I don't know. I don't know if it has a ton. So once again, this is purely speculation um, from what I was, I've heard. I haven't heard. I haven't done a lot of research. I'll say that. So I don't want to give you too much because, but you have to look into uh, the structure. Like I said before about SPACs. Remember, this is a SPAC. Structures are all over the place. And not in the favor of the common shareholder, most likely. And you need to be aware of that uh, before you invest in this long term. Because most likely, it's not a good investment. Maybe it's a good speculative vehicle in the short term, but it's unlikely to be a good investment long term. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question. Uh, let's touch, lastly, on digital payments. And... It's made life easier, I think, for everybody. But one problem are one part problem with the convenience is that people take their eye off of their finances. Subscription services for music and video streaming services, cloud storage, fitness apps, ride hailing, you know, Ubers and food delivery platforms, and now you can do buy now, pay later for a lot of things. It's very easy to put these payments on autopilot. And, but with that convenience, makes it easy to overspend. And a June 2021 report showed that the average consumer pays $273 a month in subscription services. That's up from 237 in 2018. Whereas the vast majority of those surveyors thought they had spent less on subscriptions. And so it just shows you how detached people are with their trends in spending. And that's why you need to review your credit card statements every single month and make sure you're not paying for things you're not using. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, now over 35 million. Get yours anytime on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.